Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. Talk of Champions. I've been Garrett at Spirit Vent on Twitter. Joining me as the guest co-host today. Bradley Sal will be back, I promise. But scheduling stuff, especially with the Oxford Regional going into Monday, has kind of thrown us off. So Brad will be back later this week, and we're going to talk all about the Tucson Super Regional that Ole Miss has advanced into after beating Southern Miss on Monday. But today, filling in for him is Nick Suss of the Clarion Ledger. Good friend of the pod, and today's guest is another good friend of the pod, Ole Miss hitting coach Mike Clement. Because it's an Ole Miss baseball podcast, an Ole Miss baseball edition of Talk of Champions. It has to be because Ole Miss is moving on. Nick, what's up, man? How you doing? Uh, I am doing well and dreading traveling across the country, but I'll be happy when I'm there. I'm shocked you're going. I haven't decided if I'm going or not. Yeah, I'll be there. I mean, I've never been further west than DFW. So this is a part for me to just like see a part of the country I've never been to, but Man, I mean, it should be fun. That's a cool ballpark they got there. The desert air, I want to experience what it's like to walk through 117-degree weather with negative 6% humidity. That should be interesting. Uh, Yeah, everything about Tucson sounds like a challenge. The only issue is we're still doing everything virtually, and yet you look at this weekend, and there was 11,000 people in the stands for every single game for Ole Miss, and yet we're still doing these things virtually, and that's where it kind of is a holdup for me. It's like, okay, am I going to really go all the way out to Tucson and still do stuff on my computer, just sitting in a press box just to be there? So, hey, good for you. I don't know if I'm going to do it or not. I can't decide. Yeah, if you're there, I'll be happy to to touch you in person. <laughs> Phrasing, Nick. Phrasing. All right. Well, I was there on Sunday. Was, is that inappropriate? Kind of, kind of. I was there on Sunday. It was the first Ole Miss Athletics event I've attended in person in over a year and a half. And apparently I'm the bad luck guy because Ole Miss, everybody knows what happened at that point. Jumped ahead four to nothing, seven run first inning for Southern. And that was kind of it. Even though Ole Miss got to seven runs, they only needed to add on a couple to win. But to come out of that regional like they did, to not have another bloody Monday, if you will, and lose to Southern Miss, and it would have been made even worse because it was Southern Miss, to not allow the collapse to happen and jump ahead nine to nothing, gets to nine to two. At one point it was three runs to answer back with the Calvin Harris home run. Just the whole weekend, it was exhausting. I'll be honest with all the delays and everything that was going on. It was exhausting. and It was a marathon of a game on Monday. I don't know how y'all did it while sitting there in the stadium. I was at home and I was exhausted. 13 hours, I felt like I was on my couch just watching Ole Miss baseball and covering it. Uh, what was it like for you as now you look back on it and think back on that regional and try to break it down in totality? Yeah, I, from a baseball perspective, we have a lot to talk about. From a surviving it perspective, remind me after we're done recording to tell you what we were actually doing in the press box. Oh, but see, now I want yeah, to talk it, about that. Wait, give me one little piece of something for the people now, because what were y'all doing? Were y'all playing games? Like how? I know what that press box is like. It's really close quarters. It's not, you know, where you can really move around and do a lot of different things. What were y'all doing? We were playing games that I made up. 
Oh, so no. no, that's that's never a good sign. Uh, one of the ones uh, I'll tell you one of the uh, one of the podcastable ones. There was a point where myself and three people who work for the university spent literally an hour trying to name everything we could think of that qualifies as a rap group. <laughs> it wasn't a fun game, but we spent almost a full hour just being like, "Oh yeah, Cypress Hill, that's a rap group." <sighs> Insane Clown Posse. Is that count? there was that, that there was a twenty minute discussion about. Insane Clown Posse, Corn, and Limp Biscuit about whether they count as rap groups or not. Um, is punk rap? There was a, a lot thing? of time to kill. It's called new metal, and it's coming back, and that's not necessarily good. That's not good. No, that's not good. Okay, back to baseball. Back to baseball. I, the thing that stands out to me is, man, Ole Miss did things the way Ole Miss has done them all year. I, I, I wrote about it in my column on on Monday night, but. You think about it, go back to February 28th or whatever it was when this team was ranked number one in the country, mm-hmm. and it looked like that team was destined to coast into Supers. That's right. That team is not in Supers. <laughs> no. The team that's in Supers is the team that has four regular starters playing in the same position they did that day, that has one starting pitcher that they can trust, that has shuffled its bullpen so much it might as well be a blackjack deck. I mean, this is a team that's overcome Gunnar Hoagland's injury, that's overcome Max Chofi's injury, that has not just overcome Tim Elko's injury, but is winning because of Tim Elko's injury, it seems. This is a team that, I I can't remember which player said it yesterday, I think it was Taylor Broadway, who was like, yeah, I mean, with all we've been through, this didn't seem like that big of a deal. And I Every team's been through COVID testing this year. Every team has been through what's been going on across the country. That's not unique to Ole Miss. But for a team that, for all arguments' sake, should have been one of the three best teams in the country to have lost its best pitcher, lost its best hitter, lost a senior reliever, gone through two weeks of Doug McKaysey being hurt, never found a starting pitcher for the third day of the series, starting true freshman at probably the two premium defensive positions on the field and they're one of the last 16 teams surviving that's impressive no it is and what's really crazy is when you think about the big name guys right now we know about taylor broadway we know about doug nikhazy and tim elko what he's doing i I was serious in the post game i kept thinking for three innings the last three innings of yesterday's game all right how am i going to ask Mike Bianco about Tim Elko in a way that's different from pretty much every other remarkable moment that this guy has had for the last handful of weeks. And I came up with nothing. So I just went, okay, look, Mike, I want to ask about Tim, but I don't know what to ask. So what else can you say? So we know about those guys, but when you think about the other studs, we're talking about Jack Doherty, who was redshirting into April. We're talking about now Tyler Myers, who was a career reliever coming off of Tommy John. And when he goes out there and steps on the mound, whether as a starter or in long relief, he competes. We're talking about guys that coming into the year, if I'd have told you in June, you'd have said, oh my God, what happened to this team? Justin Bench has a higher OPS than Hayden Dunhurst. That's nuts. That's just something I would have never predicted. Or TJ McCants. TJ McCants wasn't supposed to factor in. That was the plan. There's a good argument to be made that most baseball teams get the primary percentage of its power from DH and first base. This team has never gotten any production from first base, and the only reason they're getting production from DH is because their third baseman tore his ACL. Like, this is a team that's built backwards, 
it doesn't make sense to be built around one starter, one reliever, one DH, and a left fielder. But it's working and a shortstop. I'm not going to forget about Jacob Gonzalez there. But uh, man, this this is this is a team that does not seem to be built the right way, and that's not a planning problem. That's an injury problem and a a weird uh, sequence of events problem. But they've overcome so so much. And now you can't argue with results and they're heading into a super regional where it seems like they're playing themselves. And that's, that's a really, really fun thing to contemplate. It is. And Jacob Gonzalez, I think going into the regional was leading the sec in hits and something else. What was the other thing? What am I missing? Maybe runs. Maybe runs. Yeah. Let's just say it was hits and runs. And that's the first freshman to do that since Todd Walker. So, what they've done is relied on guys that were maybe supposed to be the second, third, fourth option, and now they've become the guys. And they wouldn't have gotten out of the regional if not for Timoko. That's just the bottom line. They wouldn't have. If he didn't hit home runs this weekend, they don't have enough offense to get out of it because enough of their guys were slumping that they just couldn't string hit after hit together and then run after run and put together crooked numbers in particular innings. So Timoko was pretty much the guy that provided them the extra oomph to get out of that regional. But when you look ahead to Arizona, I think a lot of people are like me. Everybody knew that Ole Miss was lined up with Arizona, that they were probably going to be going to Tucson this weekend if they advanced out. But I don't think I know much about Arizona outside of I've heard countless times that they can hit really well. So if you look at the weekend coming up, because we could rehash this weekend all we want, and I do that a lot with Mike Clement coming up on the Modern Woman phone line. So let's look into this weekend. I know you've looked into it. I know you've looked yeah. into this team. So for those of us, and I count myself among them, that really don't know what Ole Miss is walking into this weekend, and I might go, I don't know, what should Ole Miss fans be expecting out of Arizona? And how, if you're Ole Miss, from the Nick Suss scouting report, do you advance out of it to Omaha? Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So here is a quick list of things that Arizona leads all Power 5 teams in. Hits, runs per game, batting average, on base percentage, doubles, triples. Here's a thing they're second in the power five in, slugging percentage. Uh, They are stupendously good at hitting the baseball. Their team batting average is 329. To put that in perspective, Tim Elko's team batting average is 327. Their team on base percentage is higher than Kevin Graham's on base percentage and Kevin Graham on base 57 games in a row. They are a team that doesn't need to hit home runs, but they still have 62 home runs this year. They are a team that doesn't move around the base as well uh, from a steals perspective, but moves incredibly well from a slugging perspective. They're a team that I believe in 16 conference games against teams that made the NCAA tournament averaged 7.7 runs per game flip side of that Ole Miss is playing itself this is a team that doesn't really have too much reliable starting pitching 
uh, but actually profiles very similar to Florida State in that their first four guys out of the bullpen are all superstars. I think it's four guys combined 92 and two-thirds innings with a 2-4-3 ERA and 12.5 strikeouts per nine. Uh, they're a team that you really want to beat up on the starters because those relievers can get to you. Uh, but beyond that, their their Friday night starter, primary Friday guy, has a ERA above five. Their Saturday guy is their true ace. It seems like he's got a three five one ERA, which is the best among starters on the team. But the uh, the nitty gritty, the numbers that matter, despite all of that, uh, six and six against RPI top twenty five teams. I believe it's twelve and nine overall against RPI top fifty teams. They are pretty average when challenged. Uh, they. I think they beat Oregon in their series, lost to Stanford, uh, split at three and three against the two other Pac-12 teams that hosted a lot of their big time wins came early in the season front loaded. They beat Oklahoma twice. They beat Dallas Baptist. They beat Missouri. They've beaten a good number of non-conference teams, but those were really early. And then they coasted through a regional without ever having to face their own two seed because Oklahoma state went two and out. So they had to beat, uh, I believe it was Santa Barbara twice, and they did that pretty handily. Uh, beyond that, they are just a, a team that reminds me a lot of this Ole Miss team, with the exception being instead of being a team that you know hits 300 collectively in the SEC, they're a team that their nine-hole hitter hits 300 in the Pac-12. Well, spoiler alert. Clem came on, and when we talked, he said that, you know, for all the hand-wringing from Ole Miss fans from the media, including me, in regards to the draw Ole Miss got in its regional with inarguably the best two seed, the best three seed, the best four seed, getting out of it, they were pretty okay with the draw because of what those teams were. They were good pitching teams. And, yes, Southern Miss was good offensively, but really what made them go is they were top 20, I think, in pitching, and so was Florida State. And then SEMO had the only true ace of any four seed in Dylan Dodd. And if they ever had to pick who they wanted to go up against, it was teams that could really pitch it and couldn't really hit it. But Arizona's the complete opposite of that. They slug it really well, and they don't necessarily pitch it particularly well. So this weekend, we could be in for, I guess, three straight days of marathons like Monday. Yeah, it could be. I mean, if there's one thing that people know about night games in the desert, it's that the ball tends to carry. And just based on looking at stats there, I, I'm assuming it's a pretty big ballpark. It's a former minor league ballpark. I don't know the the dimensions, but former minor league ballparks tend to be. I think it's 420 to center. Your average. I think it's 420 to center and 350 oh, wow. down the lines. I think it's something crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 a big ballpark, uh, but that also contributes to why Arizona hits so many doubles and triples. And if you're somebody like Jacob Gonzalez or Peyton Chatagnier, who tend to hit the ball towards the gaps or Hayden Dunhurst, who when he does hit the ball, it goes into those alleys. Uh, that's, that's a good sign for you offensively. Again, it's kind of tough to pitch out there with the ball carrying and the park being as large it is as it is, but <sighs> I'm not trying to pile on anybody. If you look at a lot of the mistakes that Ole Miss made Sunday and Monday against Southern Miss, it was pitchers like Drew McDaniel and Cody Adcock who threw pitches that were home runs in Oxford that would have been outs in Hoover. If you want to use the they would have been outs in Hoover principle when your dimension is 354-2350, outs in Hoover. The problem is, is I still think 
that you can't go with Drew McDaniel as one of your three starters. And I don't mean to take away from his, yeah, I don't want to take away from the kid's confidence or anything like that or pile on the kid in any way. But it was just that bad of a start, even when a couple of those balls it felt like not necessarily win aided, but wouldn't have gotten out in other ballparks. It just snuck out into the worst part of the park for Ole Miss, which is the short porch pretty much in left field. So when you look ahead to how Ole Miss lines it up as far as its pitching this weekend, the only sure thing is Doug Nikhazy. Now, when he pitches, I don't know. He threw 119 pitches on Saturday. He threw, what, 40 pitches on Monday. So um, how would you set it up? Uh, Diamond, Nikhazy, Myers. I prefer Doherty right now doing what he did against SEMO. Uh, I liked him as a starter. He looked awesome as a starter. And if it wasn't for that 50 minute delay in the middle, I think he could have gone six or seven on Monday. All that said, the way he looked against SEMO and more importantly, the way he looked against LSU earlier this year, that's the role that I think he's so valuable in, especially because of what I was talking about earlier with Arizona having such effective bullpen arms. Uh, I think Derek Diamond, for as much of a critic as I've been in the past of the things that Diamond doesn't do as well, the thing he's doing pretty well right now is functioning as kind of an opener. Not a true opener in that he's throwing one or two innings, but the dude can give you four innings. And if you can get four innings out of Derek Diamond in game one or game two, whenever you use him, hand the ball to Doherty for three innings and Broadway for two innings, that's a good recipe. Whereas you try and flip it, go Doherty five, Diamond two, Broadway two. I'm not as confident in that approach because Diamond didn't look as effective as a reliever this year. I think back to the state game and a few others where him coming in in relief was a little bit more of an adventure. Um, I don't think there's a wrong way to do it if you're picking between uh, Diamond and Doherty. But I I do agree that Myers kind of has to be that number three guy because of the poise he's pitching with right now. We'll get right back to Nick Suss, who covers Ole Miss for the Clarion Ledger with Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach, coming up on the Modern Women phone line after I tell you briefly about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. Finally, at long last, Oxford is getting back to normal. The sun is shining. Those dreary winter months, they're behind us. Better yet you actually get to experience Ole Miss Athletics events in person. What a world. What better way to get there than in a new car, truck, or Jeep? The only place to go for your next vehicle is Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. They'll take care of you. And I know because I've bought a car there myself. And the experience was too easy. Seamless, even. Their only goal is to get you in the vehicle you've always wanted at a good price. So reach out today. Don't wait. Give them a call, 662-234-8000. That's 662-234-8000. Or stop by and see them in person at 2201 East University Avenue. That's 2201 East University Avenue, just past Kroger. Alan Samuels, Chrysler Dodge, Sheep Ram of Oxford. Let's be friends. Well, the question is, when do you throw Doug Nikhazy? And had it not been for him appearing on Monday... Well, it's obvious he would go on Friday. But now, if you look at, I think it was Pitch Smart, MLB Pitch Smart statistics, the suggestion is four days rest after 93 plus pitches. So if you're going by that, 
then that means he needs to rest not only Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, but also Friday. So the earliest you could realistically throw him is Saturday. But Ole Miss might be tempted to get off on the right foot on Friday and just throw Doug. Because the best way to get out of a super, it's obvious, but it's true, the best way to get out of a super is to win the first two games. So is there a guy that you feel more confident with going with him on that first day? In my opinion, before I get yours, I would go Tyler Myers. Only because I know, while the stuff isn't great, he'll go out there and compete. If I am ranking top four candidates in order of who should pick game one, assuming everybody's ready. Number one, I agree with you, Tyler Myers. Number two, Broadway. <laughs> Starting. Just screw it. It'll never happen, number though. Three, it'll Diamond. never happen. Though. I've been talking about openers for Taylor Broadway. Oh, I know it'll never happen. Never happen. I'm sorry. You're number three and four, Diamond. Oh, okay. No, D- Doug three, Diamond four. Okay. Yeah. You don't or want... vice versa. Diamond three, Doug four. Also, Arizona pitches backwards. Their best pitcher goes on Saturday. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a situation where you try to match up your ace against their ace. And unless Arizona flips its rotation, the guy they have throwing Friday nights all season, including against grand Canyon in game one of the regional was a guy with a 5.5. And maybe he got shelled once or twice. I haven't looked at the individual game logs and see if there's an outlier game in there, but you can pitch backwards and get away against a team that. Uh, doesn't have a true dynamic ace. And obviously the huge, huge what if that will be the specter over this whole season is if you have Gunner, but you don't. So you got to try to figure out to use Doug at the time where he's most deployed. I give him the extra day rest. Now, the counter argument to that is, okay, well, if I throw Doug on Friday, if he's feeling good, I can get off to a 1-0 start and then just try to figure it out to get the win on Saturday. I'll just make it Johnny Holstaff game and put it all in that game, and then Sunday, if it gets to Sunday, just figure it out. It's possible. I, I think that you can you can survive that. Uh, it's really interesting to see the, the two guys that I think pitching-wise might end up being the most crucial this weekend are Brandon Johnson and Jackson Kimbrell, mm. because those guys have been better as of late, but it's hard to call either of them uh, automatic. I, I think they're both guys that you still need to figure out how to use. And they're guys that Bianco and, and the staff are really willing to use multiple times in a weekend. So we'll see. I, I think you're still very confident in Broadway going the last two innings of a close game, but I'm not confident in anyone on the staff other than Doug finishing the sixth. So those middle guys are going to be pretty crucial. All right. I'm going to give it to you real quick. Number one, Give me one arm not named Doug Nikhazy and Taylor Broadway that has to be good this weekend for Ole Miss to advance. Uh, Derek Diamond, because he's the guy that needs to – we could talk about the hypotheses of who's going to start all that we want. Derek Diamond's going to start a game, right? Like, you've yeah. been watching Ole Miss baseball the yeah. entire Bianco era. Derek Diamond's going to start a game. And if I'm wrong, who cares? I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> but, <laughs> We're all wrong a lot, man. Who cares? <laughs> but – it's, it just feels like he's been building toward a crescendo. And I don't know if it's a positive crescendo or a negative crescendo, but these last four games he's pitched, three, excuse me, the Georgia game, SEC tournament game, and regional game, not counting the one inning, two-thirds of an inning, whatever he pitched against Southern Miss, were pretty solid. 
he looked the part of a number three starter or a number two starter right now. Uh, if you can get that Derek Diamond, the guy who can give you four to five one-run innings, Ole Miss is set up pretty well. Monday was the most Derek Diamond game ever. Get the first two batters pretty easily, then a double, and he just falls apart. Walk, walk, and now Doug's got to come yeah. in and get out of it. But Derek has the stuff to give you four really good innings, and he's done that before, and he's got to be good for not just the postseason this year, but also you're going to be one of the weekend rotation starters next year. Completely off topic, I said this yesterday. If I'm wrong or if you think I'm stupid, tell me. Jack Doherty's probably your Friday night starter next year if you're just projecting it right now. Um, maybe. I was thinking about it. Uh, the thing I'll say about Jack Doherty, and this is too much praise, but I'm saying it anyway. In almost every way except the hand he throws with, he reminds me of what Doug looked like two years ago. The dude manages a game well. He's got a very similar demeanor. He's got a very similar delivery. And he's relying a lot more on making the batters get themselves out than attacking the batters and striking them out. I like that kind of pitcher. Obviously, Doug <laughs> developed into a different kind of pitcher this year, and that's what's made him so dynamic and unstoppable. But there's something to be said of a guy who troll a game by throwing 89, 90 miles an hour. That said, that's not a Friday night SEC guy. Uh, I think that Bianco is traditional is probably not the right word, but understanding might be that when you're throwing on a Friday night in the SEC, you should probably be a guy who touches the mid-90s and can attack guys. Hey, Doug did it for two years. I'm just saying. And he Jack did. Doherty can hit up to 92. I'm just saying. You're talking to a guy who builds graphics to say Jack freaking Doherty, okay? I'll be honest. I'm not in any way objective when it comes to Jack Doherty or TJ McCants. Anyway, moving back to the topic. The hitter not named Tim Elko or Kevin Graham that has to be good this weekend for Ole Miss to advance. Peyton Chatagnier, just based on where they're going to keep him in the lineup. I, I, based on who's slumping right now and based on the way that Mike has built lineups for the last three, four weeks, I don't see a way that Chatagnier is not batting one or two. Oh, yeah. Somebody needs to be on base ahead of Graham and Elko. Okay. Uh, I'd, I, I'd love it as much as the next guy to see some of these guys break out of the slumps, but you can't predict slump breaking. Uh, so I'd want to say Dunhurst or McCants or any of these guys, but we know Gonzalez is going to hit. We know Elko and Graham are what they are. The guy who's hitting in that top four with them, and I'll throw Bench in there, the top five with them. This is an old school lineup that still uses the two holes and advance the runner type guy. Mm-hmm. Shotney has got to do his job. You know how I feel about that. I, I, I do too. I, I feel that way. And I mean, my thing that you might end up hanging up and booting me off the podcast right now, but <laughs> I wouldn't hate giving McCants a breather for game one. That no, I, I wouldn't mind either. I wouldn't mind either. And I actually asked Mike Clement, who's coming up in just a second, about TJ McCants in particular, because what is he doing wrong? He's gotten to automatic swing mode. But that happens with freshmen. All freshmen hit the wall. Unfortunately, TJ McCants has hit the wall at the most consequential time for Ole Miss, and that's unfortunate. But It also needs to be noted that yeah. um, for your more sabermetrically minded uh, listeners, when McCants was at his absolute peak this season, when he was hitting up around 350, his batting average on balls in play was up around 504. Yeah, that's not sustainable. Meaning he, he was, he was uh, when the ball was not a strikeout, a home run, or a walk, more than half the time it was a hit. Uh, the league average, I think, is about 380. So when you're hitting 
almost 12% better than average when you crater, you're going to crater hard. Yeah. Yeah. The crash is going to be much worse than it would be for somebody who's a little bit more consistent as far as their BABIP. All right. If I'd have told you also that Justin Bench going into this weekend in the postseason, this time last year, okay, almost is going to be going to a super, and Justin Bench is easily one of the most reliable bats that Ole Miss has, I would have laughed in your face. Not because I don't like Justin Bench as a player. He just is the most prototypical college baseball player there is. There's not any one thing that he does really, really well. He just does a lot of things pretty good. I would have believed you based on your choice of the word reliable. I would have thought he'd be hitting 310, 310, 310. But... Man, dude's hitting 310, 440, 505. Yeah, it's nuts. He also gets hit with a ball every single game, multiple times sometimes. <laughs> you were there for the one game, so you got <laughs> to see it, but I've been playing a game for three months now uh, where every time before one of his at-bats, I yell out what body part I think he's going to get hit in. I love how nerdy you are. God, I love it. I really do. That is that is a great Nick Suss game. All right, which body part does he most often get hit with? Is it like the elbow? I mean... I think it's like the, I think it's more lower body with him. I think it's like hip lat down to like knee. <laughs> he got hit in the foot the other day and that was a weird one. Yeah, that's a weird one. But well, he sure should have moving. Know. I, you know, he's, he's never moving out of the way. No, I mean, what are you afraid of at this point? <laughs> uh, he's, he's been hit by everything. He's that's a human right. bruise. Yeah. Justin Bench, the human bruise, according to Nick Suss. Last one. Does Ole Miss get out of it? Does it advance to Omaha for the first time since 2014 and the second time since the 70s? Gut instinct is no, but I am wrong so, so often. I'm still scared of this pitching rotation against a team that uh, kills baseballs. More than fair. I, I, I think that Arizona has almost certainly not played an offense comparable to Ole Miss's. And when you're playing out West, it's just, it's really hard to read how West Coast teams do when they're confronted with an SEC team. Sometimes it's 2011 UCLA and they're the best team ever. And sometimes it's a dud. Um, But yeah, gut instinct is, it's hard to get out of this. The counter to that is every time you try to count this team out, they have always bounced back. So if you're willing to say Absolutely. they're going to lose, I mean, we're probably going to be wrong. I mean, that's how it's been with this team. I've counted them out so many times. Like, okay, they cannot overcome that. And here they are in a super. I'll leave you with this. After the Florida State win, the headline for my story, Doug Nikhazy, Tim Elko prove there's still some magic left. How much is left in the tank? It took all of two days for Doug Nikhazy and Tim Elko to have more magic. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it's an infinite supply of fairy dust. I don't know what's going to happen, but if you tell me Tim Elko like, gets rooted, I, I don't know how that would happen. But yeah, maybe he hits the walk-off to send him to Omaha, and I would say, yeah, no, he's going to come on a press conference and say, it's exciting. Yeah. And that's that, because that, that's all you can say at this point, is when they do stuff that... I mean, Doug's building a case for himself to be one of the Mount Rushmore pitchers in Ole Miss history. And Elko at this point, I think, is the coolest story in Ole Miss baseball history. There are probably some other ones that I'm not as familiar with, but there are very few people ever who have done what Tim are doing right now. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to count them out, but just looking at the matchups, Arizona's not a shabby five seed. One, Doug is without a doubt 
on the Mount Rushmore, the game that I hate playing, the Mount Rushmore of Ole Miss pitchers. And Tim Elko, I was genuine in the post game when I was asking Mike, asking Tim, I don't know how to ask the question anymore. You're doing things that aren't supposed to be done on one leg. And I don't know how to keep asking that without it being redundant and without you saying, yeah, man, this is pretty cool. I can't come up with any other ways. You're smarter than me, man. You're a better beat writer than me, man. You're better at phrasing questions than me, man. I don't know how to ask these questions, but you got to ask them. But I don't know what to ask Tim Elko anymore because every time he does something like hit a grand slam in an elimination game when every Ole Miss fan and their mother is terrified and just thinking, oh, it's Tennessee Tech all over again, and they're leading nine to nothing, how do you even ask about that? Because that's like the second or third most insane thing this guy has done in the last two weeks. Tim Elko in the last two weeks has more multi-home run games than he has ACLs. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's true. He's Nick Suss. He writes for the Jackson Clarion Ledger, covering Ole Miss, and he does a great job. At Nick Suss on Twitter, you filled in again. You stepped in, and you stepped up. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. Uh, happy to do it, and if I see you in Tucson, we will have fun. That was Nick Suss. He covers Ole Miss for the Clarion Ledger. Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach, coming up now on the Modern Women phone line. If you haven't already, subscribe to Review Talk of Champions and iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. It doesn't matter what you say as long as it's five stars. This podcast can be found wherever you get your podcast. Just simply search Talk of Champions in Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, you name it. We're there. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, and affiliate of 247 Sports. Bradley Sal will be back. Nothing has happened. The scheduling of the last two weeks has just been hell. So Bradley Sal will be back later this week. Might be for a mailback. I hadn't decided yet. I'm just flying by the seat of my pants at this point as Ole Miss advances in the postseason of the NCAA tournament. So Bradley Sal, he's coming up later this week. But now it's time to go to the Modern Woodman phone line because Mike Clement is coming up. But first, let's hear from BNA Bank and Modern Woodman, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Are you looking for a career change? Maybe COVID threw you for a loop. Maybe it's time that you did something else. Maybe you're just tired of working nine to five for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else. Well, our phone line sponsor, Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, is looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary. You do have to be a resident of Mississippi, but what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. Don't wait around anymore. It's time to make a change. So for more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas Chandler today directly through Facebook or his number at 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. Make the change. Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, the title sponsor of Talk of Champions. The Modern Woodman Phone Line. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman. Let's make a difference together.
This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter, going down to the Modern Woman phone line to speak to Ole Miss hitting coach Mike Clement. Ole Miss has advanced out of the Oxford Regional with a decisive Game 7 winner-take-all win over Southern Miss on Monday, and now we'll head to Tucson to face Arizona in a Super, the second consecutive Super Regional in as many postseasons. Clem, what's up, man? How you doing? Probably you included as my guest on uh, a little short sleep, but uh, hey, uh, I'd much rather be on short sleep uh, getting ready to, to to head out west than I would uh, trying to trying to tie a bow on the season. I tweeted it out after the game on Monday, and I wasn't trying to be funny. I was serious. I was exhausted. That was a marathon. I mean, I think it was three and a half hours of delays, not to mention the slugfest of a 12-9 to 9 game for y'all. I understand that the celebration was fun and everybody was having a good time afterwards, but man, it had to be like coming down really hard and crashing, right? Yeah, really, really long day. Uh, and, and no, I think you said it right. I, I laughed at your tweet last night. It, it was, it was exhausting. And uh, I don't know, this weekend probably took a year, maybe a year and a half off my life, but uh, a few more gray hairs, but, but uh, happy to get it done. And yeah, the delays yesterday, you know, I think our guys were here for, uh, a, a, a noon game. So an 8 a.m. pregame meal and, uh, you know, just uh, it made for a long day. But some of the beauty of that is of, of playing a, a home regional is uh, is the fact that you get your own place. So our guys could get into the air conditioning. Um, they could lounge around a little bit. Uh, that probably played to our advantage a little bit because uh, Southern Miss was was in the same boat. What's really interesting about this team is that on Sunday, the vibe after the loss with Ole Miss fans was, oh, God, not again. Not Tennessee Tech. Oh, nightmare scenario. They've just been burned so many times. And then this team comes out, puts up a nine spot, and even when it got tight a couple of times, we just add on and not let Southern Miss get back. And I just think it was a perfect example, that game, of just what this team has been all year. Yeah, you're right. It, it's kind of a microcosm of, of of kind of what we've been all year, all in that nine innings. Uh, you're exactly right. Here's the thing: in in defense of of some of the uh, the naysayers on Sunday night, uh, I think it was it was kind of the imperfect storm for them. Uh, it happened back in 2018. I understand uh, as a fan, um, some irrational thoughts probably went through people's heads, and I think the thing that added a layer onto that is you're playing against the team from your, from your own state that, mm -hmm. uh, that, that probably some fans don't like, um, or, um, think of as, as little brother. And so, uh, the thought of little brother winning, I think probably was an added layer of stress for some of our fans, but, uh, I appreciate most of them, uh, sticking with us. And, uh, you know, our, our guys, like you said, came out just incredibly resilient. It's, I've said it before on this podcast, uh, one of the more fun groups of players I've ever been around. And part of it is just the toughness, the toughness that they have, the resilience. I think I read somewhere where we've only lost back-to-back -back games twice this year and, um, and haven't done it for a while, probably since that LSU series. So um, just a resilient group. And in some way, uh, they make me feel better. You know, you get to 8 a.m. breakfast yesterday morning and we got guys, uh, you know, kind of dancing in there and, with a lot of energy and I'm like, what in the heck is wrong with these guys? You know, you lose a heartbreaker 10 to seven the night before and uh, they're resilient, man. They bounce back quick and obviously got off to a great start, which is exactly how you would draw it up. And um, we knew they were going to score a little bit, you know, both teams down on their, their pitching a little bit, but uh, 
felt pretty good as the game went on with, with hanging on to the lead, huge home run by like Calvin Harris uh, that probably gets overlooked a little bit when you look at the grand scheme of things to stretch that lead back out. So it was always within arms or, or pushed away at arm's length. And um, you know, it, it was, it was a fun day. It was a fun day and I'm, and I'm incredibly satisfied for our players. Give me a peek inside because whenever a coach doesn't matter if it's you or Mike, whoever gets in front of a camera or talks in an official capacity, they're always going to put on a brave face and say the right things. But after a game last yep. night, an elimination game, and you know you're moving on, once it's over and you're sitting down, you finally got a moment, what's that sense of relief like? Is it, oh, God, the world, the weight of the world is off my shoulders? Well, um, I don't, it's hard to say that just because, like, I'm sitting in my office right now with video of Arizona pulled up. So, like uh, – <laughs> from a coaching standpoint, and this isn't me trying to, like you said, you know, speaking in an official capacity and play the, play the coach speak. Uh, the hard part for me is uh, enjoy it last night and then wake up this morning. And it's like on to Arizona. We're like, we're flying out tomorrow. And so we got the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, super. Um, and, and, and so we leave tomorrow. So it's trying to cram almost for a test, you know, so I'm cramming in video of Arizona's pitchers, obviously me being the hitting guy. Um, and trying to figure those guys out. So uh, I don't know if I have like the sense of relief, uh, the sense of accomplishment, the sense of uh, I don't I don't know what that is yet. Just because I've 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 just kind of moved forward to, to Arizona. I know that sounds really stereo stereotypical coach talk, but but it really is the the case. Like uh, you know, as much as we love winning the home regional. Um, that's not necessarily what we set out to do. We, we set out to win a couple more games and, and go play in the Midwest in, in the middle of June. That's right. I mean, the end goal is to get to Omaha, period. And anything short of that is falling short. And for you guys, that's how it feels, too. I just know for Ole Miss fans, in an elimination game at home, it just seemed like the whole stadium. There's this air that led out of it like, oh, God, okay. It didn't happen. We can breathe now. You know, I can go to church and not be afraid to get ridiculed by my state <laughs> USM fans. You know, that's what it felt like to me. Yeah, I, and, and I get that. And here's the thing. Like, I think, I think it's, it's twofold. Um, I get it from a fan standpoint. And when you host, uh, and I'm just going in the Mike Bianco era, uh, when you host 10 times uh, in, in, in 20 years, in 20 postseasons, uh, odds are you're going to lose a couple of those. You probably don't get out of a home regional. Um, and so I understand uh, – some of the irrational thoughts in that and hopefully some of those have been put behind us because like you said we've won the last two home regionals now and in, in, in 19 and, and yesterday and um you know we've we've played really well and I, and I think the satisfying thing for me is number one we only have a couple guys that that were on that 18 team that got beat by Tennessee Tech on our current roster but number two uh I think our fans and it's what they love about this team so much uh our guys didn't feel that uh, they came with complete confidence. And I think it showed when Chatney hits the ball out of the or Gonzo leads off with a double Chatney hits the ball out of the yard. Uh, they misplay Elko's ball and then bench hits it out of the yard. And I think, I think at that point, if you're a fan in the stands, you probably take a deep breath right there. Like, Holy crap, these guys, these guys are ready to roll. And, um, and continued to be just we're relentless offensively, which we've been all year and um, just kept coming at them in waves and, 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 kept them at arm's length the entire time. I was incredibly proud of them. 
I spent the last three innings trying to come up with a new way to ask about what Tim is doing. And I even said it to Mike in the postgame. I went, look, man, I'll be honest. I'm trying to ask a question about Tim, but I'm asking the same questions at this point. So I'll put it to you like I put it to Mike. What is there left to say about what this dude is doing? This is insane. Yeah, it's uh, it's really crazy. Um, I don't – I have a hard time putting my, my finger on it also. Uh, I got to the point this morning in thinking about it and I almost thought, like, what if this guy would have got his 75 at-bats back that he missed? He may have 25 home runs right mm-hmm. now. Um, so I started thinking a little bit about that what if. Um, but really, after his eligibility is up, uh, he should never buy another stake in Oxford. Uh, like, somebody pick up his tab. This is after his eligibility is up, because obviously we can't give him proper sure. benefits yeah. right now. Yeah. But, yes. Uh, yeah, all the things everybody's saying, it, it's it's wild. And and I mean, when, when I say this, and, and it's been said before, that it couldn't happen to a better kid, uh, it, the reason that we are as good as we are offensively this year is a lot on him. Um, number one, when the injury happened, he never complained. Uh, his disposition is incredibly positive all the time by nature, um, you know, the way he lives and his foundation in his life is really, really solid, well beyond his years. Um, and the other thing is he doesn't care who gets the credit. So like, it's not super important to him that he gets a lot of credit for being the guy. Uh, that is really rare, uh, on all the teams I've coached here and other places. It seems like your best player, uh, also wants a lot of the credit. Now, some of that works to that guy's advantage too, because he plays better because of that ego. Tim, you almost have to do the opposite. Like, Hey man, you you need to accept the praise. Uh, he almost shies away from it. Uh, he has a hard time with it, but I think that is reflective of our team. So like, uh, guys like Gonzo or McCants or Chatney or whoever else gets credit at different times, bench and others, Kevin Graham, uh, those guys just kind of deflect the credit. Like it's, it's, uh, it's a really selfless group of offensive players. And I think it starts with Tim and just kind of trickles down um, through the rest of the guys because of his leadership. No, if that a, makes sense. No, that's a great point because yesterday my phone's just getting blown up with people, Ole Miss fans. And everyone's like, Oh my God, what he's doing is just, it's nuts. I mean, this guy's legendary. And my response to every one of them wasn't, Oh yeah, man. He, he's unbelievable. It was it couldn't happen to a better guy. And I'm being sincere in that way. He's been on this podcast a couple of times. And one time, he had like a family thing when we set it up. And I'm used to this in this business. It doesn't hurt my feelings. It's just part of it. But time came and went. He wasn't there. And I just moved on with my day. And then I get text after text later from Tim just apologizing to me profusely, this dude in the yeah. media who does not matter as if he owed me something. I'm like, dude, it's all good. Don't worry about it. And he just made sure late on a Monday night after my daughter's t-ball game that we got this in. And that's just a small anecdotal example of just how genuinely good this dude is. And for him to be yeah, able to have this him. after that, and I think Mike made a good point, what would have been a tragedy has now turned into an every-game-watching legendary performance that we'll all be talking about for years and years and years to come. And I'm sincere when I tell people, hey, look, man, you got to honor this guy in some way. I've been saying to Keith, build a statue. Just in some way, honor this guy at Swayze Field because this is not something that any of us will probably ever see again. It's funny. Uh, people, 
obviously had reached out to Keith that he just sent out a tweet that was like, yes, I hear you. I hear, I hear all of you or, or something like that, uh, which I thought was really cool. Uh, number one, that Keith uh, is confident enough in, in himself and in his position to be able to have that back and forth on online. And he had another one that was not related to Tim that I thought was even better. Uh, I know but, the one you're uh, talking about I, and it was great. It was great. It was perfect troll. Yes. Yes, it was. Uh, but uh uh, some of it goes to his leadership too. Like he's just done a great job and it trickles down to all of us minions that work underneath of him. And uh, anyway, yeah, it's uh it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a cool deal for Tim. Uh, and I think it's a really cool deal for our fans. It's, it's kind of captured, not that Ole Miss baseball needs to capture anybody because it's kind of done itself over the years, but it's kind of reinvigorated uh, some people. I, I, I definitely, I definitely think that. And it's, it's crazy. Like other fan bases, um, it's hard not to pull for the kid. Uh, you know, obviously what has happened to him, it's easy to cheer for him. But then I think even people outside of our fan base uh, and some of our biggest arch rivals appreciate what he's done. And that just shows you, number one, amazing what he's done. But number two, the kind of kid he is. Yeah, Scott Barry, I asked him directly, USM head coach, about Tim. And he said he's their Kirk Gibson every single time he goes out there. He's what makes them go, and he's not wrong. But you think about the offense this weekend – where would Ole Miss have been without him? I mean, you don't make it out of the regional probably without his contributions. Let's be honest here, because the offense has kind of been spotty as far as some guys that are struggling. So being the hitting coach and watching what the offense did this weekend, and some guys that aren't going particularly well, like a TJ McCants, what is your overall diagnosis after the dust now has settled and you can look back at it with a critical eye like you have to? How do you break down the yep. offense and the performance? On the whole, uh, I, it's really – it was, it was good. We faced, you know, uh, three pitching staffs. Uh, obviously, when the Dodd kid is pitching for, for SEMO, uh, they're really good on the mound. And then mm -hmm. uh, two of the better pitching staff statistically in the country, uh, the best ACC pitching staff that there is, uh, and then the best, you know, Conference USA pitching staff there is. Uh, Funny, Clem, so, uh, how those teams ended up in Oxford. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. And the, but the thing about it then is, like uh, – driving home on the bus from Hoover on that Sunday. So the selection came out the next day. Uh, it was a thought in my head that, Hey, if we could draw it up perfectly on who comes to Oxford, I would hope it's teams that pitch over hit because I mm. think that fits what we do well. Um, and, and that is how they drew it up. You know, Florida state kind of feast or famine only hit like 245 as a team and Southern Miss, while a better offense, in my opinion, than Florida State, um, still the offensive numbers weren't ridiculous. And so the fans probably didn't like it just because of the names on the on the jersey, but I thought it set up okay for us, and uh, I thought we were the best team in the regional, and that's not to say anything bad about the other three teams. It just it just is what it is. Yeah. Um, so I think that worked out well. Anyway, back to the offense. I felt like it was pretty good. We scored, um, and, th and that was good. Outside of the Florida State game um, where they gave us a lot, uh, just honestly, uh, I didn't think we had great at bats in that Florida state game. Fortunately for us, we had the best pitcher in the country on the mound. Um, and so, so we win that game. Uh, but outside of that game, I felt like, while well, like the Sunday night game against, uh, against Southern miss, you know, we, we hit a lull, uh, the back half of that game, which was disappointing, but on the whole, we scored runs in the regional, um, which is what we've done all year. We scored a ton. Um, and, I, and, and that's good. Now, if you get specific on players like McCants, and, and he would probably be the one that sticks out. We've moved him back down in the lineup, um, which we thought may help him. 
Uh, he's just gotten into swing mode a little bit. Um, probably needs to be a little more selective. And he is a aggressive swinger by nature, even when he's going great. Um, and sometimes when that's your uh, mo, uh, you crash a little harder when things don't go well um, than a guy like Justin Bench or Jacob Gonzalez, who uh, are a little more selective at the plate. Um, and so that's what TJ's going through right now. And some of it, if I'm being completely forthright, is uh, he's a freshman. He's never played this many games in a row before. Um, that's not to make no excuse. I mean, we're going to play for another couple of weeks here. So um, he needs to get it going and will. Um, but I think that's some of the things with him specifically. Now, the other guys, um, I think have swung it pretty good. I think we got Chatney back. Um, hit, 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 hit a lot of balls hard this weekend. And, um, I think, uh, really likes the arena, um, in the moment. And Kevin Graham is Kevin Graham. Uh, Dunhurst showed some signs this weekend, obviously in, in the Sunday night game that we lost. Um, he, he, he swung it well, um, but he's still not back to exactly what it was. And I think it's more of a pitch selection thing with him, but I don't mind where we're at. I think, I, th- I think, I think we're in a pretty good spot offensively with just scoring runs and confidence and all of that. We'll get right back to Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach on the Modern Woman phone line after I tell you briefly about Cheney's Pharmacy, another proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. Oxford, Mississippi is always at its best in the spring and summer. The sun is shining, the square is popping, and you actually now get to go back to Ole Miss athletics events in person. What could be better? But the only way to truly enjoy everything that Oxford and Ole Miss has to offer is to make sure you're still taking care of yourself, keeping yourself safe and that you have a pharmacy you know you can trust. Well, there's only one pharmacy in Oxford, Mississippi that can do just that. Cheney's Pharmacy, a locally owned pharmacy that's been in Oxford for over 40 years, as red and blue as the rebels themselves. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. Hands down, it's not close. So give Chaney's a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can visit them online at chaneyspharmacy.com. Make sure your pharmacy is one you can trust. Chaney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Yeah, it's an individual thing. You can't really talk about the offense with a broad brush here. So I want to talk about one or two players in particular. And you brought up Hayden Dunhurst because I was like you when he got those hits in the game on Sunday. I was like, okay, he's starting to look like himself again. He's driving the ball into gaps. That's what he wants to do. And then he has the bases loaded at bat where he takes two hittable balls for strike one and strike two and then swings at a ball in the right-handed batter's box. I'm like, oh, it's still a pitch selection issue. And same thing with TJ McCants. I feel like with those two guys – it's just about swinging at the right pitches. And when you get, like you said, an automatic swing mode, and I'm no hitting coach, so if I'm wrong here, just say, yeah. Ben, you're full of shit, shut up. But it, it feels like with guys like that, if you do get into swing mode, then it just becomes where the situation is dictating how you're approaching hitting rather than just sticking to your day-to-day every at-bat approach, which is I'm going to attack my pitch and not allow myself to get into situations where I just get into that automatic swing. Yeah, you just explained Dunhurst perfectly. Him, him specifically. Uh, he's probably got into swing mode a little too much, and then, but it, but but he's a tough one because there are uh, there are there are times with him where uh, 
where it gets into he he just gets passive. And the frustrating part, and I know he was too, and we talked about it, but uh, the frustrating part for him was when he finally did get into that bases loaded one out. Hey, we just need to move the baseball at bat. Uh, it goes strike one, strike two, and, and he and he didn't swing. Got really selective there. When in that approach, even if they spin you a breaking ball, hey, get it elevated, get it in the zone, and put your bat on the ball. Um, and he didn't do that in that at bat, but came back the next day, obviously, or yeah, I guess it was the next day. That was the Florida state game where that happened. Came back the next day, goes huge double in the first inning to get us our third and fourth run at the top of the first, uh, and then goes base it up the middle, the next at bat, um, with him, he just needs to be able to hit the ball the other way, stay in between his feet. And I don't want to get too technical, um, because when he doesn't go well, uh, his weight gets outside of his feet and, and he gets all strung out and um, takes some, takes some ugly swings. But when he's right, uh, he's balanced and really good. Well, Calvin hits the home run. So you finally get some production out of first base. And it's not a knock on Kale, but Kale just has not been going well. So how do you yep. continue to get more regular production from that position? If it's Calvin, if it's Kale, doesn't matter. How do you get better production there? Yeah, it's a, it's a big spot. It's uh and it, and it, and it's weird. I think people pro- it's probably glaring because of the position it is. And typically at that position, you have a power hitter or something like that in the traditional sense. Um, it's the one spot in our lineup where, where we haven't had a ton of production. And, and I think of it more as the place in the lineup than I do the position necessarily. Um, but feel pretty good about eight. And then that's the, that's the one spot. And so, um, you know, we just we just have to be better that way. I don't know if it turns in if we continue to platoon right left a little bit, um, where we put Kale into positions where he doesn't see breaking balls that are moving away from him. You know, and uh, it's it's he plays against the lefts. The hard part with that is Calvin's the other option, and he hasn't played a ton of first base in his life. And uh, we saw that yesterday. You know, uh, you know, one of the the home runs turned into a two run home run just because he got himself into the wrong spot. And uh, Montenegro ended up on base, and and so Trimble ends up hitting a two run homer instead of a solo home run. But obviously, he he made up for that the the next inning and hit a ball out of the yard and. Um, which was a huge one, like we talked about earlier. So uh, I guess I didn't really answer the question, but uh, Kale has to do a better job of just staying on balls. And we've worked at it the last couple weeks. Um, he's got to be able to use the right center field gap. He's got pull power. We've all seen that. Um, but but he, he's got to stay on balls to have a chance against the right-handed slider. And um, that's where that's where he's got to be better. Um, if he's in there, he's, he's just got to be better about that. If you looked at Kale, if you knew nothing about Ole Miss baseball and you were just doing the eye test and you are getting off the bus, you think, oh, yeah, that's the guy that has double-digit home runs. And yet Kale's more of gap-to-gap. The power is not a regular thing. It comes in spurts. And he's really good defensively. He came in as a defensive replacement because, like you said, Calvin, that's a position that he's not necessarily familiar with or particularly comfortable with. And then there's Kale coming in defensively. And defensively, he's quick as a cat. It's like stunning to me because I always thought that Kale didn't have a lot of range. And yet he's over there picking and diving and grabbing balls and swipe tagging. I mean, that's Kale Baker. And yet it doesn't fit what you think he would be. No, it, he is a sneaky good athlete um, in, in that body. he's uh, There's some athleticism in there. He moves around. He's got really good footwork around the base um, and has done a really good job at first base. And um, yeah, it's not the, it's not the prototype, but kind of, kind of feels like that's our team. Uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing seems completely normal. Uh, nothing of what you, what you think necessarily turns out, but, uh, 
we've we found a way to pull it off and it's been really fun it's the island of misfit toys clem that's what it is and it's great i, I kind of love it about this team all right one of the last things i'll let you go i know you're not the pitching guy but again we say this every time i always give you this same prelude before i ask you these pitching questions you're not the pitching guy but you'll have the conversations as coaches when you look at the pitching situation for this weekend doug threw 119 pitches on saturday and of course the discussion was oh god could they really go with them on monday and then mike says afterwards look this guy was willing to fight me if he didn't get into the game on Monday. He did. So for this weekend, knowing that it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, what is it other than Doug? Because I still don't think we know who the next two starters are. We think one of them's Derek Diamond, but you could make an argument that Tyler Myers could start. You could make an argument that Jack Doherty. I mean, look, he keeps answering the bell no matter what the situation or role is. So when you are having those conversations, what are the considerations for this weekend? Uh, I think everything's on the table. Um we we had a we had a meeting this morning. I guess as as we tape this, it's uh, still what Tuesday morning. Um, we had a we had a meeting a little earlier this morning and uh, and and talked a little bit about it. I think some of it's going to be dictated on how guys feel. Um, just we haven't got with our guys since we played um, yesterday yet. Uh, letting them sleep in a little bit today. Um, so some of that's going to be dictated on on how their body feels and and where they're at physically. Um, moving moving as this week as this week goes along um i do think here's what i know doug is pitching one of uh, one of the games <laughs> yes uh yes. i don't think i'm i'm breaking any news there but he is he's he's gonna pitch hold on hold on, uh, hold on, hold on breaking I'm... news mike clement almost hitting coach <laughs> says doug nikhazy will pitch this weekend as a starter yeah um that's uh that that one's pretty solid and i think after that everything's on the table like you said um we've had a couple guys that have really showed well here the last couple weeks and tyler myers and doherty's just a really really tough kid uh it's hard for me to say that anybody has the same mindset as doug uh but he may be the next closest guy on our pitching staff to uh, a little bit crazy uh but a ton of competitiveness uh broadway's a little different deal uh he's super competitive too but very, very composed with everything that he does uh, until the game is over. Uh, Doherty's probably a lot like Doug where, man, you're going to know how he feels. He wears it on his sleeve and he loves to go after it um, and compete. So uh, I say all that to say, I think, I think probably everything's still on the table, um, but I don't think we'll decide anything until, you know, we lay eyes on the guys and can look them in the eye and make them blink a little bit and tell us how, how they feel. But I feel pretty confident that that Doug's going to throw. I feel pretty confident that like, Gonzo and Graham and Elko are going to be in our lineup. So yeah, breaking a ton of news this morning. Well, two guys in particular, before I let you go, that I wanted to touch on Tyler Myers. The story is incredible. And the further he gets away from Tommy John, it's been a while, but just further and further now away from Tommy John, the better he gets. But one thing that I've really been impressed with is when you've needed a guy to go out there and start a guy that has not started, but I think three times, or maybe it's just two times now since he got to Ole Miss, he's always been a reliever. He goes out there and he competes his ass off. And I think that for a team that is looking for some stability provides you some sense of comfort that, okay, it won't always be the dynamic stuff, but you know that Tyler Myers, every time he steps up, he will compete. And I think he really saved arms for a team that would have been completely depleted for an elimination game on Monday by going in there against Southern Miss and pitching five innings. And I feel like he's really worked his way into, okay, if we need a guy to go out there and just compete and give us innings and feel confident that our offense is where we need it to be, he can be that guy. No question. No question. He probably gets overlooked a little bit because there's a lot of really cool stories on our team this year. 
uh, and a lot of really good players. Uh, he has exactly what you said. He's kind of been some glue that has, you know, kind of pieced this thing together with Chofi being out, which probably people forget about. Uh, obviously, with Gunner being out, like he has, he has been able to help us glue this thing together a little bit, um, and it's been so good. And like you said, uh, Tommy John, I don't, I'll probably get it wrong, but like maybe February of last year. Uh, and so the further he gets away, like you said, from that, and some guys 12 months, some guys 18 months, the, the closer he gets to like a year and a half off of that surgery, uh, man, you can just see the stuff ticks up. And like you said, it's not probably no one's grading out his stuff as like elite stuff. But in college baseball, when you throw three pitches for a strike, you're really tough. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to beat. And so uh, it's uh, – it's good, man. He, he, he is a huge piece to what we've done and he stuck with it. In, incredibly hard worker and a good kid, all those things that everyone hopes for. Um, but like you said, he's, he, he's come back and he's been really good. Taylor Broadway. I got to give credit to Chase Parr, my buddy at Rebel Grove who came up with these stats. Cause I didn't look into him. I'm lazy. In the past four weeks, he's thrown 15 innings, one earned run, 21 strikeouts, two walks. Opponents have six hits. Now, these are all SEC and postseason opponents. Yep. A couple things on that. I think there are two guys on our team that, uh, outside of Oxford, uh, get completely overlooked that are like superstars. Kevin Graham, uh, who is not an all-SEC player and put up crazy numbers and hitting the three Absurd. or four hole. On Absurd the best, that he was the best an all guy. In the league. Yeah. Uh, and then Broadway is the other one. For a different reason, I think he gets – he's respected um, – but there are two really, really good closers that have uh, that get talked about more in our league. Obviously, Cops, who uh, was the pitcher of the year in the league and should have been uh, because of what he's done at Arkansas, and then Landon Sims at at, at Mississippi State, uh, who who had a fabulous year too. I think everyone kind of, and they're in the same division of the same league as us, and so uh, everybody looks at those two, and rightfully so. But he should be in the discussion as like he has meant. Uh, he has meant so much to our team um, that he could easily, you could argue pretty easily that he's the MVP of our team. Um, now you could argue a couple other guys too, Nikhazy uh, included uh, and probably the leader in that, but uh, you could make a, a solid argument that, that TB would be the, the, the MVP of our team. And the thing about him and, and maybe part of the reason he gets overlooked is it's not, I mean, he throws hard, but it's not crazy, but what is so comforting in the dugout when that guy comes in the game is he's got like eight walks on the entire year. So, you know, he's going to throw strikes. Whereas mm -hmm. like, at least since I've been here, you have Caracy who uh, had crazy punch out numbers, but man, like, uh, walks you're going to need to. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he may put a couple guys on. Uh, I think Scott Biddle before, way before I was here was a little bit like that too. Like he may walk a couple guys, but then he's going to punch out the side and hey, the game's over. Wolf Oak, uh, same thing, but with, with Broadway, it's like, it is strike one, strike two. You are going to have to get multiple hits to beat him, um, which is hard to do. Uh, and he's just so steady. He can take the ball. And it's interesting, and I think Mike said it probably to you yesterday, it's a, like, legit four-pitch mix, which you usually don't see. You know, like, Gracie was a one-pitch guy. Like, with Broadway, it's a four-pitch mix. Like, it is a tough, tough at bat because it's strikes and it's four pitches. Uh, it's really tough, really, really tough. But, yeah, he's – those two guys get overlooked a little bit, but gosh, dang, they're valuable. Yeah, it's easy to talk about Doug Nikhazy, the maniac, and how much energy he brings and how outside of the obvious, the pitching performance, you got to have that guy just to lift the team up when they need it. 
But Taylor Broadway, in his own yeah. way, does the exact same thing. Yeah, he, he does. Yeah. One of the most valuable things for him. He's Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach. Good friend of the pod. He's pretty much a co-host. Thanks again, man, for doing this. Good luck this weekend. Be safe traveling over there. And uh, yeah, man, keep it going. We'll do it. Two more to get. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.